Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1050 with Chef Tommy Begno. I think if in any business, but if somebody isn't passionate about the project, that's a red flag. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, use cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies, Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode brought to you by Owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO-optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With Owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using Owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef owner of Mr. Paul's Supper Club, Chef Tommy Begno. My man, Tommy, are you feeling unto- unstoppable? I almost said Tommy today. <laughs> unstoppable today. 
I am. Yeah, yeah. Man. I mean, I have to be at this point. I am psyched <laughs> to have you here, dude. I have a feeling this is going to be really good. We had uh, your good friend Peter Campbell, Chef Peter Campbell, call you out, and he had amazing things to say about you. Uh, so I know this is going to be good. No pressure. No pressure. No at pressure. All. Uh, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? God, where to start? Um, you know, I guess starting with my staff um, and what I tell them all the time and, and from day one, and it was in my business plan when I went to the bank, was, you know, if people are going to spend their hard-earned money, let's make sure they have a good fucking time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know we talked off camera um, about experience, about experience, about experience, but, you know, the, it, it, at the end of the day, um, a good friend of mine who... I'll start the, the podcast with a call out to Tim yeah. Niver, um, but I'll also finish it with yep. Tim Niver. Uh, you know, my, my, my first restaurant um, gig out of culinary school was working at this amazing place called the Town Talk Diner, um, way down in East Lake Street, kind of a, um, at that point in, in the mid-2000s, uh, not the nicest neighborhood, and, and Niver built this, this, what we called the Finer Diner um, and and he would you know he would talk about guests and guest experience, but his mantra at that point was everybody does great food, everybody does you know great drinks, and uh, you know but what separates us is how do we deliver to our our guests an experience that's different and and you, you know restaurant. Uh, Were you associated with his restaurants? I, I was the chef there for a okay. While. So I saw because I'm not terribly familiar with the um, the Minneapolis community so yeah. I, i'm assuming one of these restaurants is that the town talk diner yeah okay cool cool so that was tim's first he had left aqua v um when that unfortunately closed great restaurant nice. marcus samuel oh, i'm gonna Sam. do some research today on and, tim because i'm talking to him on thursday so i can't wait to pull back the tim uh he opened this place with a vision of you know how do we deliver and he used to say to us in pre-shifts how do we make love to every guest mm. you know and uh you know, I think we all have a, a different idea of making love, and it's not, it's not fucking. It comes it's, in many forms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how do you make love to every guest? How do you make them feel a part of you and, and, and feel a part of this experience and this symbiotic relationship between restaurateur, dishwasher, bartender? You know, how do you bring that all together? And it's, it's that, that interpersonal connection between everybody. So I always, you know, that was... 16, 17, 18 years ago, and I still think about that quote, like, man, everybody does good food. And as a chef, it's kind of like, well, do they? But they do. You know, I can go to the diviest, and you'll find me at the diviest places in town right. um, and have a great burger. I think the industry got pretty pretentious for a while, too. You know, like, like oh, 100%. you know, where it became about the food, and the, like, the food is important. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely. Like, the, not just because it, it's more than food, it's literally life. You're, we're, we're taking life and we're giving life in the moment of feeding people, right? Uh, so, like, we got we to treat that seriously, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know about you, but when I go out to eat, yeah, I want a good meal, but I'm really looking for a relationship with that restaurant, the people behind it. You yeah. Know, like that's what brings me back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to pull back the, the, the layers and making love to your guests. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like we're going to be able to come back to that as your story unfolds. So where does it make sense to go back? To, take us to the beginning. Let's yeah, let's start. Um, I mean, I'll go all the way back and then we can, oh, you it's know, over 20 years, right? We, yeah. We can edit a lot of this. Oh, no, so. we're not going to edit that, man. That's not my style. Um, <laughs> You know, I grew up uh, east side of St. Paul, um, 
working class, but lower l- lower income family. Uh, four brothers, so five boys. Okay, Pork knocked eggs. down, kicked down. <laughs> we fought every day. My my mother was a saint, um, and my dad worked his butt off. Worked for the railroad forty one years. Was never late one day. Wow. Never never missed a day of work. I mean, just incredible work ethic, and you know, rarely. Uh, picked up every overtime shift possible. You know, he was kind of gone, so it was, you know, my mom raising us and and eating out or dining out was unheard of. Right. You know, it might maybe a birthday to Denny's or you know like uh, a two ninety nine ground round, but it it was few and far between. Um, unless we went to my grandfather, not Mister Paul, my grandfather on the other side, Jimmy owned a. Irish bar called Jimmy's Poor House. Okay. And we could go to that restaurant whenever we'd go visit Grandma and Grandpa in St. Cloud, Minnesota, so a couple hours north of here. Um, and it was like everything was carte blanche, and I was just amazed. Did you have restaurants on both sides of the family? I, um, on my mother's side, my, the, the, I guess the Irish-American side, okay. the Lynch's, um, restaurant tours. Okay. Um, the Begno, Mr. Paul who's the namesake of the restaurant, not in the restaurant biz, but also just a kind of this larger than life personality that, that he was just, I mean, he was the, this, this guy that every, everybody was drawn to him and all he wanted to do was host and Mm. host and host and show this, this hospitality that I had never seen. Um, but I, saw I remember the, photo going, of the, the Paul Bucosa, and I was like, "Wait a second. I was like, "That Paul?" And no, like, no. <laughs> he was friends though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he. Uh, yeah, I. I it, so it started. You know, my. That's where I kind of started, and, and I remember going to Jimmy's Poorhouse, this Irish bar that was like. To me, it was it was so cool, and it was it was kind of a seedy biker bar. It was yeah. a divey. You know, there was some, you know, they'd play pool leagues there and smoking cigs. And we used to, you know, I remember him paying us a penny for every bottle we sorted. And it was clear glass and brown glass and green glass. And, but at the end of our, you know, visiting grandma and grandpa, we'd get, you know, whatever you wanted. I'd always get the chicken drummies and a bottle of Mountain Dew. And it was like the coolest, how do you do this? Like, and I always wanted to do it at that point. But I knew that that wasn't, you know, my... My folks wouldn't let me do that. It's weird. I think that's changing, you know, but there was a period going back 20, 30 years ago where like this industry was a last resort. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's changing. I think we have to make that change by making it by, by giving people a reason to come work for us. Yes. You know? Yeah. So was your family on your, when your dad moved up here, was he first generation uh, Minnesota, Minnesotan? He, 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 my dad. Yeah. Minnesotan. (laughs) Minnesotan. Uh, yeah, so my gra- my grandfather, Mr. Paul, the namesake, and kind of, you know, he was, I would say, and we'll, we can go further into that when we talk about, you know, mentors in this industry, but yeah. he was one that, that, you know, when I would see my grandfather um, and what he would bring to those around him, I was always inspired. And, you know, the Cajun culture of, you know, the swamps and the bayous of Louisiana, you know, it's, there's three things. It's music, it's food, and it's religion. <laughs> And uh, the, the food and that culture and these, you know, and down in uh, Lafayette, you know, these boucheries and we'd butcher a hog and everybody would take a piece of the hog and go home and they'd all come back that night with fixings from whatever they got. Did you get the shoulder? Did you get the belly? And, and it was just like this, it was a constant celebration of kind of 
community and culture yeah. and family. And so every year we would go down there and I would see this and I'd be like, man, why? Like, and God bless. I love Minnesota. I love Minneapolis. Um, but that, that Louisiana and that Cajun culture it's a special is, place. it's so different. There must be some kind of like, I don't know, like some like energy vortex down there. Cause you go to that place and it's like built on a fault line or something it is, like yeah. where there's this energy spewing. Yeah. Like it's a weird thing. It's hard to explain for sure. It's a special place. And as I grew, as I grew older, it was, you know, Lafayette was, was one thing and that's kind of the heart, you know, that's the heart of Cajun culture. And, and that's, you know, I'm a Cajun. And I'm a proud Cajun. Yeah. Um, but I also loved, as I got older, 18, 19, 20 years old, to sneak down to New Orleans. And my brother and I used to go down every year. Um, and then I, you know, we kind of passed the torch. My older brother and I would go down there as soon as we got, uh, as soon as our parents would allow us. I, I think he was 18 and I was 16, and they allowed us to drive down there to visit, you know, my That's friends a long and drive. family. Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, driving through the Ozark Mountains a as a teenager. Drive, I can't believe it. You know, like, I've got a 17-year-old, and the thought of him driving 40 miles scares me. Right. Um, the thought, you know, Different 1,100 times. miles. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think everybody should drive across this country, man. Someone God, who does so it great. full-time, it's like, why would you fly, why would you fly over this? Like, <laughs> it's this so is, great. Like, take your time. Take it in. Uh, so before we go any further, do me a favor. Paint the picture of where you are today. Let's start with the end in mind. Yeah. What is your business today? My business today, you know. St. Paul's Supper Club. Yeah, Mr. Paul's. Sorry, I don't know why I said St. Yeah. Mr. Paul's Supper Club. Um, Mr. Paul's Supper Club, I think, is, is it's been something that's been in me for a lot of years. It's, it's, it's you know, the, the style and design is the authenticity of what I wanted to bring. I didn't want to be the Rainforest Cafe you know, I, every, anybody can do a, a themed restaurant, if you will. I right. wanted to f- feel, I wanted to make guests feel, and I wanted to make my staff feel like they were transported somewhere else. You know, I, you know, I think a lot of people talk about how it's paramount that our guests have this experience, but yeah. I also feel probably more passionately um, about the fact that I, I, I want my staff to feel the experience every day. And... And so if they come in here and they look around and they see the beauty of what, you know, my wife Carrie has created and, and, and what we're doing in this kitchen and the, and the cocktails that are created, it inspires them to do something, which only helps my business plan. So you're trying to transport people into Louisiana. Yeah, I, you know, it's, in a sense, it is a theme restaurant, but yes. authentically spirited towards yep. New Orleans. Like you want to people to think they're in New Orleans when they're sitting. Yes. Uh, so uh, we call it fine casual. I would say, yeah. Full service. We always fine say um, casual fine dining. Okay. Um, or, you know, a modern supper club. How uh, many seats? About 180. 180 seats. I mean, seats. it's big. Plus the sandwich shop and, and backdoor burger bar. Um, so, all toll, I think, we, you know, a couple of hundred seats. Yeah. It's I like big. The, I want to start painting the picture for my listeners. I think there's something we can do to like talk about where my guest is today, and then we're going to reverse engineer how you got here. Okay. So, like, are you willing to talk about numbers? Yeah. Total, total gross. Um, about six million. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, Super fortunate. Yeah, man, that is that is awesome. Um, and any other? What is the supper club? But oh, sorry, um, is the supper club like a like an event situation, or is that just like? what you call your restaurant. I think, you know, like in the Midwest, yeah. Wisconsin and Minnesota, I, I guess 
particularly, uh, particularly, uh, <laughs> su- supper clubs are this thing that, you know, they, they weren't ascent, uh, necessarily fine dining. They're more like family dining. Okay. And it's, you know, it's the prime rib that was cooked in the Alto Sham that, you know, it's probably a low grade ribeye, but it was the best piece of meat okay. you ever have. And it was, you know, popovers and, and these giant relish trays and this and this. so how do we how do we mash up the sensibilities and hospitality of the Midwest Supper Club where you would go with your family? But do you have an actual club associated with that? No club associated. Okay, with interesting. It. I was curious about that. Yeah. And then you had the poor boy, the poor boy. Yeah, um, Mr. Paul's Poor Boys and Jams, which is kind of you know, and I'll walk you through here. I don't think I've we've made it that far back, but that was. Uh, Originally, it was designed to be office space when I had designed the restaurant with, with an amazing architect here in town, uh, Aaron Whitcamper. But at the 11th hour, I said, you know, let's do something different back here. Because, I, you know, God, I – and it, it's twofold. Right? You, you treat it like a separate brand, right? It is. Do you it's treat a, it's it like a, a separate brand. business as far as, like, keeping cash flow separate and – P&L separate? This one we, we treat as a separate uh, revenue center for Mr. Paul's Supper Club. Got um, it. I am in the process of expansion, and we are opening the second Pole Boys and Jams. Um, okay. Uh, shit, three and a half weeks from Damn, now. Damn, dude. <laughs> okay, so we can stop there because, trust me, we're going to pull back the layers <laughs> on all this. I just want to kind of give the listeners idea of where we're headed yeah. and like what you got going on now. Now we're going to reverse engineer how you got there. So okay. where we left off, you're a young guy, uh, passionate about food, passionate about these experiences in restaurants, passionate about your grandfather and the culture that he had and bringing that culture. And maybe you didn't know you wanted to bring it to the Midwest yet, but when did you start working in restaurants? Was it just a job? Like, what you know, was going I, on? my first job ever, well, I delivered papers as it is, you know, before you were legally allowed to work delivering newspapers when I was nine, 10 years old. Um, but my first real job was in a restaurant. Okay. And How old was, were you? I think I was 13 at that time. I was a dishwasher. My brother was a dishwasher there, my older brother, Toby. But then he also was a, uh, he got his big break to be an AM cook. Yeah. (laughs) And I, 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 the chef's name was Tiny, but he, you know, he was this 500 pound um, Norwegian with a a thick accent and, um, (laughs) And and then the lead cook's name was Bill Solar, and, and I'm you know I don't even know if Bill's still around. He was about forty five years old, and I remember that cigarette hanging from his lip while he did his hash browns, and he'd slowly flirt, falling into he'd the- flirt with every <laughs> server there, and it was you know I was this I, I guess fairly green, well, thirteen to, years old a little to, to anything, <laughs> um, but you know seeing this band of gypsies that was running this restaurant, and I'm like how. Does this place survive? Honestly, I mean, that, that was the appeal to me is the people behind this industry because they're just real. You know, yeah. like you can say anything, you can think anything, yeah. and they're going to love you at the end of the day as long as you carry your yeah. weight. <laughs> you know, I, and I, even at that point, I saw, you know, the vulnerability that goes along with this. You know, it's a pirate ship full of people, but yeah. they're all, you know, I it, myself included, we've all got this soft under, underbelly that, right. that you don't. And maybe it's just because I, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think you see that in banking or, or, or you don't maybe in, in commercial real estate, you know, that soft underbelly, Every, everybody's, you know, you got to put on this yeah. face, but it, you know, I was just drawn to it right then. 
So but was it, it restaurants through your entire life hereafter? No, I, you know, I, I struggled, struggled my way through <laughs> high school and, and high school athletics and football and wrestling. And what was your struggle? Um, I guess I wouldn't say a struggle. I, I more, I did the same thing that everybody did. And, yeah. and, and where do I want to end up at the end of the, at the end of this? And, and I think, you know, growing up in the eighties and, and it was always this 2.2 kids living in the suburbs, working for in Minnesota. It what was do you mean two, by 2.2? I don't know. I think that was the national average when I was, oh, okay. when, when I was, <laughs> When I was growing up, that's what they always said. National average, you know, you're, you're married, you have two two point two kids, and you uh, have you know a minivan because those were just checking the, the boxes. Just yeah, and and everybody kind of followed that same formula, and it was you go to college, you get a degree, you find your wife, and you know, um, and so I think it, just the, the the social pressures of doing that was okay. Now I'm going to go to college. Yeah. I think on your website you have over 20 years. I saw and that was written. Was that bio written in 2022? 20 yeah. years. So do you mind if I date you? How old are you today? I'm 46. 46. So you started in this industry, like really working in when you were uh, now 22, so 24 years old. Yeah. I, you know, there was a couple of years, you know, obviously as a teen, but then through college I bartended. Okay. Um, and then bounced in and out from a different couple of different universities and then came back to Minnesota you know, I went to school down in Madison, Wisconsin. I moved out to Colorado, uh, Lake Tahoe. Okay. Um, this and that, and kind of. What was the uh, What was the plan? What was the goal? Well, back then I was 21 years old and um, living on a ski hill and and smoking good herb was was <laughs> was Sounds paramount horrible. to everything <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Uh, so, did you have a destination? Was there an end game for you? Were you did, were you working towards something? You know, at that point, it was. I think when I moved back to Minnesota in two thousand one, it was what am I going to do next? I've got to go back to college. So two thousand one, yeah, to finish this degree, um, and and then start chapter two of my life. Checking which boxes, was, yeah. Um, and I got back here with preparation in my mind that. I'm going to finish my college education. I'm going to find a job and, and do all of this. And I ended up, by happenstance, working for a family business for the better part of five and a half years, doing golf course construction. And I traveled all over, and it was, it was an amazing time. And I, I learned a ton. And I, you know, I, I, I think I grew in that business. How many years were you doing that? Only five and a half. Okay. It was a short... So uh, 21 to 20... 2000, yeah, one to the end of 2006, okay. I think, is when we sold the business. But What kind of stuff did you learn that served you today? Just management of people, I think. I was the youngest project superintendent and probably didn't deserve the position, but okay. it was also my family. Ah, that helps. <laughs> and uh, uh, nepotism plays a part in, I think, human every nature, business. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see the best yeah. for our own. Yeah. Um, but having that and, and having the skill set of managing, you know, machine operators that yeah. have been working in a bulldozer for 30 years and trying to, you know, get them on my side, but also um, tell them exactly what I thought they should do and then listening to them. And How'd you, know, you get them on your side? Uh, you know, it, that, that's, I still challenge, you know, I, I, I struggle with that still today is, you know, how do, how do I rally the troops, but also be a commander at the same time? It's, it's. It's a, Probably, it's a hard balance. 
managing people is, is more difficult than, than anything, I think, in any business, but uh, especially in, in this business. And, you know, construction, I think, was, was one of those things where, you know, they all look at me as this young, dumb kid, and, but, but I was good at my job. And, you know, I managed projects that, that nobody else on that, you know, we had a company of about 140 people. And I think I, think I deserve the position. You know, maybe I got it prematurely, but I, right. but I you earned it. I knew I did a, a good job once I got the position. Right. You, yeah. You, you were given the position, but once you had it, you, you earned the right yeah. to stay there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, can you give us a, a tip on like what you thought you were doing, reflecting back? What was it that you did that helped you garner respect being, you know, the, the family choice? Yeah. Like, especially, I think that makes it even harder. Yeah. It's working my ass off. I mean, I, it, no two ways around it. I, I, I worked harder than. I think anybody there. I don't think you, you can know. ask more from people than you're willing to do yourself. Yeah. And so it was, you know, if, if I was asking my guys to do 12, 14 hour days, I was doing 18, 20, you know, it, it was tireless and it was exhausting. And I, you know, I, I probably neglected my own personal sanity <laughs> and health and, and those of uh, my loved ones. You so know? If, if you're good at what you did and you had this, like, it seemed like you didn't hate it. From what I understand. No, it, it, was, it was great. I'm glad I'm on to the next. Yeah, well, why did you leave? I'm curious. Um, you know, unfortunately, my, uh, my uncle at the time, who was the CEO of the business, my mom ran the finance of the business, um, had a slip-fall accident at a golf course, oh. walking down the steps and broke his neck. Oof. And he was kind of, he was the one that was running the business. And so uh, we... Crumbled thereafter. We sold the business and... I started with the challenge of trying to help um, the purchasers of the business make it into something, but the my love of that was lost, and and that now I had this. I guess you know I took a, a, a small chunk of money with me when we sold, and and the whole thought at that point was. What are you going to do with this money? And I said, I'm going to buy a restaurant. Oh, I'm going to buy a bar. So you're 26 years old when this choice yeah. comes. Is that what happened? And I talked to a couple of people. Um, my aunt and uncle owned bar restaurants up in St. Cloud. Oh, yeah, you had the family connection. Um, and so I talked to one of my aunts up there, and I said, Hey, I want to do something in this. You know, the bar restaurant is, and you know, why would you want to do that? Yeah, I love First hanging step, out. In let bars. me talk you out of it. Yeah, I love <laughs> hanging out in bars, and and. Uh, and she said, well, go figure out what you want to do. Go back to school, go, go to culinary school, you know, or go to hospitality management school, figure out if this is really for you, you know, before you, um, sign your life away. Exactly. Yeah. And, and spend this, this little nest egg of money I had, which wasn't much. Um, I thought I could do it. Was it, it enough with, to open a bar? No. I mean. $20,000 or something. I thought, it's enough well, to give you a little bit of a runway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I could sign a lease for that. Yeah, yeah. not pay yourself <laughs> the first six months. Um, um, but yeah, you know, she encouraged me to, to go back to culinary school. And, I, and my mom was like, you're, you're nuts. But if you do these steps, you know, there's a potential that, you know, and my folks didn't have any money, but my mom always vowed that she would invest in me and, you know, probably the, to the tune of a couple of thousand dollars. But it was, that's all I needed was my aunt. And my mom saying, go do this. If this is what you're passionate about. And, I, you know, I had done a lot of thinking about 
Am I going to go back to school for psychology? Am I going to do this? And it, it There's was, a lot of people that love psychology in this industry. Yeah. There's definitely a core. I'm one of those people. Yeah. But I absolutely. But there's the we are in the, the, the industry of people and understanding yeah. people and serving people and its relationships and knowing how those relationships work is a huge benefit. So, yeah. did, so you didn't go that path of psychology. I but didn't. In a way, I think you I still did. I did go back to culinary school. <laughs> we're all, we're all yeah. counselors in this industry. We are. Uh, so real quick before you kind of get into any detail, just kind of zoom up to 30,000 feet. We're in the airplane. We're cruising across your life. Yeah. Just look down and tell me the stops you made along the way. Like what, what's beneath you on this journey to where you are today? Because did you go, did you take their advice and go to school? I did go to culinary school. I pursued then after that uh, degree in hospitality management, which um, you Where'd know, you I, go? I never finished. That was at Metro, uh, which now is Minnesota State, Metro State University. Okay. Um, and they were the only program in town. It okay. was that or moving again to right. Eau Claire, Wisconsin, or, or uh, Menominee, Wisconsin for their hospitality management. But it was, so those were, you know, culinary school, Metro State. Um, and then I, um, right out of culinary school, while I was attending Metro State, I got this job working at the Town Talk Diner. For Tim Niver, Aaron Johnson, okay, and, and that. How long was that my, after this process of like that making was, a decision? As soon as I had finished culinary school, it was my first restaurant. Two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand seven. So from what I see here, what I have written down: Town Talk Diner, Cafe Mod. Yeah, between uh, there, there was another uh, stop that we tried to do. I guess what the Town Talk Diner was doing in Minneapolis with guests and doing a similar concept out in the suburbs of Eden Prairie. Um, with a place called the Prairie Ale House, and I was the opening executive chef with Tim and, and Aaron, kind of uh, with their support. And, and Aaron Johnson, who was Tim's partner, was the general manager, and then Tim came in when Aaron left and, and was the general manager of that place. So 2007, you're at Town Talk. What year was Prairie? Um, 2011, maybe. Okay, and then Cafe Mod? 2012 to... 2015. It was Cafe Mod? Cafe Mod. And then Coupe de... I'm not going to say these yeah. things right now. Coupe d'etat. Coupe d'etat. Wow, I'm ho- so bad. Uh, what year? Was that 2015? That must have been 15 to, let's say, 18. 17 or 18. Okay. And then Butcher and the Boar? Butcher and the Boar, 18 to 22. And then we opened here. And then what was Four Bells? Four Bells was a... I guess I was the culinary director of Butcher and the Boar and Four Bells. Okay. So that was a same organization. A spinoff. The seafood restaurant of the the steak and chop house. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, so in this journey, right? Um, I, I know we kind of already touched on Town Talk and the the influence Tim Niver had on you. Um, where would you say you you evolved the most as a restaurant professional? Like going along going along that timeline. Without getting into detail, I'm yeah. just trying to find out. What I, I would time. say first would be with Jester Concepts at Kudata. Okay. Um, you know, it, I guess every stop I, it, it was imperative to where I'm at now. But I, it, I would say Jester Concepts was was uh, or Kudata was one of those stops where you know I. It, I really started to understand and look at the business end of things. So you're no longer an employee, but now you're thinking, like, how does this yeah. work? And okay. I, I've always, growing up with the family business of the golf courses, and the, you know, I always wore the hat of, I was more invested maybe than I should have been. Got it. Um, and, you know, 
So is it safe to say that's where you kind of got the chops to be able to go do your own place? Or you started? Yeah, I think so. All right, but before we dive into that, let's go all the way back. 2007, you're out of culinary school. I mean, is there anything worth bringing to the surface with culinary school? I don't want... I want... Oof. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Why is that, do you think? I, I don't regret it. I, you know, I know there's a lot of people that were um, crippled with debt coming out of it, and then you go into a job that back then we were making 10 bucks an hour, maybe. Right. And... You end up leaving the business because you can't afford yeah. to pay the bills for right. the schooling that got you into the business. Exactly. I mean, I think there's something to be said um, about spending a lot of time in the industry and maybe not having the right connections. Yeah. That can, I think the only way that can really serve you is if you can go work in the industry, um, get get a, like a scholarship, and go bust your ass, and then have the professors go, who do you want to work for? Yeah. Because like we'll introduce you, and like if you're trying to fast track that networking, I think that's the biggest value right there is the is the network that you're getting. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to put words into your your. No, mind. I it, I totally agree. I I look at you know everybody's gone through different paths to get to, especially in in this industry. I think the path is is the one that you make it be. But uh, it's t- it, it's there's no easy way to get to the end from the beginning. Right, you know, if it, you can go stage at the French Laundry, and and you can do these things, and you can pay an exorbitant amount of money to yeah. to live and work um, for this training. But at the end of the day, is that the training that was necessary right. to make you successful? I don't know. Mm. You know, I think it's you know, there's a lot of self reflecting even today that goes on. Uh, inside of me internally that's like man i could have done this different and what is the training that would have made you successful or has made you successful i mean thank god i've got my wife because <laughs> she because she keeps me grounded and, yeah and business she, partner not just wife yeah, but wife and partner. exactly um carrie? but she also she yeah yep. carrie is is you know she's the one that that you know i wouldn't be I wouldn't have Mr. Paul's. I wouldn't have opened this without her. We're definitely going to talk about lanes later on. I yeah. want to pull back layers on that. So I think we can talk about your time at Town Talk Diner because it sounds like this was like your crash course in values. So maybe you didn't learn the business, but he kind of, it sounds like this is kind of like you acclimated to this level of service and, and intentionality and values of, of warmth, generosity, making love yeah. to the guests. So get into that. Yeah, let's. You know, Town Talk, it, it was eye-opening. I got there and I, you know, I was shaking my first day trying to impress these chefs, David Vlock and Tor Westgard, and the chefs that were in place when I started there. And I started as, you know, Garmage and then worked over to the grill. And, and um, you know, within a year out of culinary school, I'm the executive chef of a restaurant that, that, that was the year prior, two years prior, named the best restaurant in Minnesota, which is, you know, it was foolish of them not to go outside, but you know they, they had the confidence in me to say, we're going to give you an opportunity to do this. And I had the drive within me to say, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to fail at this. And You're it, talking about going to Prairie? No, I'm oh, no. talking about the town talk. Oh, okay. You know, when I started there, I was, I was this line cook fresh out of culinary school. And this is two years after they got recognized as best? Yeah. Okay. And, and next thing you know, I'm running the show. Um, Tim and Aaron then sold the restaurant maybe 2009, so I'd been there a couple of years. They sold to another a restaurant group here in town, um, and, and they handed off. Business partner, Tim and Aaron? I Tim and Aaron, know. yeah, Aaron Johnson. Okay. Um, 
and they handed me the reins. The, the, the new restaurant group then handed me the reins of kind of director of operations. I was everything there. I was GM. I was. You know, so the time that you were there, uh, it, it passed hands. Somebody else. It did after okay. the first couple of years, but it was a crash course. And and not only how do you how do you manage the kitchen staff, but then also cost control. How do you manage? front of the house staff how do you work with the inner dynamics between the front and back of the house that yeah really get into the culture of this organization like because i know tim niver is a well-respected restaurateur between st paul and minneapolis uh, across the country yeah um what was it that you think you know being a fly on the wall or being a part of it being ingrained into this organization as a part of the organization what did they do right what they did really well was empower the people that they uh, that I guess prove themselves or, 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 or were as passionate or more passionate than they were about that restaurant. How did they empower? They, you know, they, they were, they opened the town talk two years later, they opened the strip club meat and fish over in St. Paul. So they weren't as active in the restaurant, maybe 2009. Um, and there was, you know, a number of players at the Town Talk Diner. Uh, Nick Osovich, who's one of my business partners here, Kim Tong, Adam Johnson, these who have now gone on to these great careers in the Minneapolis St. Paul restaurant um, scene. But they empowered all of us to own a little piece of that restaurant in our heads, if you will. And this is your department. And Kim and Adam, you guys work on service, service, service. Nick, Adam, Jesse Held, these guys behind the bar were kind of carrying the torch that Aaron. Um, had brought there, and Aaron was the one that developed, you know, for a lack of, uh, I guess, anybody else. If Tim was service, and the opening chefs, David and Tor, who were also minority partners at the time, and they had left the restaurant um, rather quickly, I think. If, um, it's it, it's tough to run a restaurant with four people, I think. I, I'm trying to do it, and it's it's still challenging, and I so think I do a good job. It was Tim Niver. Aaron Johnson and two other people that were all partners at the talk. Yeah. So Tim, Tim and Aaron ran the front of the house, Tim doing kind of the general manager operations, um, Aaron Johnson running the bar program. Um, and then David Vlock and Tor Westgard were co-executive chefs. And that both, was David and Wes? Um, Tor. Okay. And they were back of house operations. Yep. Co-chefs. Co-chefs. And they were culinary school um, they, they were best friends. They both went to the CIA together. David went to the French Laundry, tour Monster on New York City, and then they, they came back here, and they both Got you know, it. They had this vision. Um, so what, what I want to dive into is this idea of um, empowering passing the torch. So from what I hear, it sounds like they kind of gave you in- autonomy within your verticals. They so, did. And why is that important, having autonomy? I mean, you're only as good as... as your weakest link, if you will, you're only as strong as so, so giving, giving everybody a little piece of, of at least back then, uh, the, it was so important to us. And, and I think they did it right in the sense that they wouldn't feel comfortable leaving us behind to go on to the, the this new endeavor, the strip club meat and fish without, um, having the, the comfort of knowing that we all are, are fully invested in this restaurant and we want nothing more. And so we bought into the culture of the Town Talk Diner 
um, like a staff that that I haven't seen in, in, in any restaurant up until what I'm trying to build here. What was it so unique about that restaurant that made you buy in? Yeah, it, it, poof. It, it's something, <clears throat> you know, it's tough to, you know. It was, was it a it, pride? It was the, you know, the... I love you. I, you know, I trust you. It was the the daily affirmations from everybody. What do you mean by that? Like, who was saying I love you? I mean, I trust Tim, Tim Niver will say that, and and if if you see him on Thursday, you know he is a, you know, his hugs are. I hope I see him on Thursday. You better are, are not see me. I'm looking you know, forward it's, to it. It's, it's this, I'm gonna tell him. He, he, I heard he gives good hugs. So this maybe big hug and this, you know, like, and he is so intentional and direct when he speaks to you that, you know, I remember Tim scolding me, but then. 20 seconds later being like, Hey man, we are going to have a great night. And, and you know, that, that, that separation between, Hey, you can't tell me three minutes after we're 86 on the banana split that we're 86 because now I've got two sold at the bar. Damn it. And then also saying, but you're doing a great job yeah. and having that and, and me looking at him being like, don't be an asshole to me. But then looking on the other side saying, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, it's like I'm not correcting. I'm not correcting you. I'm correcting the process. The process. And yeah. How do we all get better together? Well, and, and so he, you know, Tim and Aaron both, I think, gave us all just enough that we could chew, um, and then incrementally gave us more and more and more. Do you and, remember the? Sorry, keep going. I cut you short. And, and until we had, you know, the the machine was running, and 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 it was, you know, they would. I think they each did two shifts a week. You know, and maybe it was Aaron on on say Thursday and Saturday, and Tim on Wednesday and Friday or something, and they would tap tap everything back on the rails or whatever it may be. But they kind of you know let the the inmates run the asylum. Well, it's it's it, what I'm hearing is this power of delegation, yeah. power of empowerment, power of culture, power of giving your team the autonomy and yeah. the you know, freedom within their vertical to own it, right? And to um, also live the, like, do you remember the core values? That was the question I was going to ask you. And we're going back almost, what was this, 15 years ago? So I wouldn't yeah. expect you to remember. But can you, like, distill what the values were? Did, like, did they, it sounds like they, I don't. I mean, this is restaurants mid-2000s. No, so it was, yeah, it was, it was the, guest, was, the yeah. guest is always right. Yeah. We do everything to make the guest happy. <clears throat> and, you know, which to an extent, I still, some of that's still there, you know. I think the culture has changed in restaurants. Um, I think we are, the guest is always right ourselves into a corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where we have to start telling the guest, you know, like, we love you, but, but. <laughs> like, you need to pay another $20 per meal because we yeah. can't do this anymore or like whatever it is or but don't disrespect my staff yeah. but like all those different things yeah. um but what i'm hearing and something i want to start echoing is this idea of i think people think culture is what you say you are but the reality is culture is the is omnipresent what's happening in real time at this moment and it's not one, enough to say you're something but you gotta live those things you that to. you say you are i.e i love you i.e i trust you i.e. I'm giving you the freedom to own this yourself, yeah. you know, and like that's the stuff that I pull from what you were sharing. Um, what about the empowerment part? Do they empower you to do these things? Or were they just saying like you own this or are they giving you training and resources and making sure that you could be successful? Yeah. I, 
you know, and, and this, you, th- that was their first foray into <clears throat> restaurant ownership. So we didn't necessarily have all the tools, maybe, at the time. We're I, going back. Yeah. I think the industry's come a long way I know, in the past I know we, we scratched together what we could, but, yeah. you know, the empowerment was more the uh, trusting this band of gypsies to yeah. run. Yeah. Their life's investment at that point. Yeah. I think we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to pick up where we left off. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's total oil management automates your entire cooking oil process. With total oil management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to those messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry-free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies, Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies Inc. is always on so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look, With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists. Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online all right we're back and uh i have a glass of maker's mark in front of me so i think this conversation is going to start getting really interesting yeah because i haven't eaten breakfast or lunch yet today (laughs) and it's 2 p.m so if things get weird i apologize in advance um so one thing i want to talk about before we move away from uh, your experience with the Town Talk Diner and like the lessons you garnered from how that operation ran. Um, you, you talked about making love to the guests. Yeah. Can you pull some layers back on that and like paint the picture of what it looks like to make love to the guests? Yeah, I think you know I can try and 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 maybe you bring that up in, in your conversation with Tim because okay, if it doesn't stick out in his mind, it will remind him. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, I think what he, what he meant was, you know, we're, we need we need the guest to have as much um, 
input on this experience we're having. And we, we need to, we need, we need them. Uh, Tim talked, uh, and this is later in life, maybe five, eight years later, I ran into him and he, and he had told me about an experience he had at a restaurant. Um, and he shared this with an entire staff of mine at that time about a, an experience he had with his wife on their anniversary. Um, and I'll circle back to the making love, but, um, and Tim said that the, the service was so impeccable that the server knew exactly what time to reapproach the table and exactly what they needed. And it wasn't intrusive because he wanted that night with his wife. But he also, you know, what garners great service is that those attention to details and, and, and somebody being there without you looking around or even lifting your head from conversation but coming up at the exact right moment. And that person was Kim Tong, who was, I, mean, I think she would say that Tim was one of her mentors. Um, it was a server that worked at the Town Talk Diner. Um, and, but she had all of these intangibles that Tim also has. And she has a wonderful restaurant in Minneapolis, All Saints. Um, and if you get a chance while you're in town, I would... I'm already uh, making notes, man. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would definitely get over there. All Saints, you said? All Saints. Um, and Kim? She is, Kim Tong. She is remarkable. Um, and she has that, but knowing, you know, knowing what your lover wants is, is just important, uh, to get to the end as, as knowing what you need. And, and, um, and I think that's what, where Tim was going with that. It's was, a win-win situation. It is. We're both getting we're in this together. Out of this lovemaking hey. situation. No, absolutely. I think we can move on from there, but thank you for going deeper into that. Yeah. Uh, so your next stop on this journey, you said, is Prairie. So you you said you kind of had the blessing from Tim. It almost sounds, sounds like he helped you. Yeah. So Tim had an investor at a restaurant. that um, The next restaurant he did, um, uh, the strip club, Meat and Fish, which yeah, was an 2009. awesome. 2009. Um, he had an investor there that was kind of a silent partner, if you will, um, but helped them get that place open. I don't know what the financial investment was, but... Um, let's call it $50,000. Um, he was kind of a big player in, in that restaurant, and he chose to open um, a, or I guess he, he wanted to, and we'll just call the guy John. Okay. Um, John wanted to open a restaurant with him and his 10 golf. John was the big player. Yeah. Okay. Him and his golf buddies wanted to open their own restaurant, kind of a clubhouse for would be fun. the wealthy out in the <laughs> suburbs. Um where then they wouldn't have to come in, and yeah. you know, so it was built with they've all they've all got their own Scotch lockers, and and uh, it's 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 essentially the financiers or, or the investors and the partnership group. There was ten guys that knew nothing about restaurants; they were bankers, lawyers, doctors, but they all wanted a restaurant so that that way they could big dick around <laughs> with a restaurant. <laughs> um, and obviously, we we. We know how that goes. <laughs> well, I mean, this. I mean, I don't. And it, this is where the podcast gets weird. And I warn all my guests: like, I'm gonna ask you questions that might be weird, but like, I think it's important that we talk about this stuff because why does you said that we all know how that goes? Yeah. So, like, what are the what are the red flags in this scenario that you, and with experience and hindsight, can say if you see these things, think twice. Yeah, I think if if in any business, but. Uh, if somebody isn't passionate about the project, I, it, it, that's a red flag. And I, I don't believe 
the gentlemen that were investing in this this restaurant out there were were as passionate as is us that were running it. Sounds like they were more passionate about their ego. They loved they loved themselves and they loved to have somewhere where they could bring their friends and in I think in the first 6 months we had over $40,000 in comp tabs. I mean it, the recipe wasn't there for success. It was how do we all hang out and bring people in and walk them through the kitchen and introduce them to the chef and introduce them to this and that. Well, at least they knew the, the element of experience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then buy everybody everything. And then at the end of the day, um, then stress the management team. Why aren't we making money? What's going on, man? I invested 50,000. I invested a hundred thousand. Well, we know that the margins in this business are tight. really tight and and it's tough to get there you know and it's a lot of work and it's but if if you're complacent and if you're not compassionate and or passionate uh you're not it's going to be it's going to be tough and it it could be no pun intended a flash in the pan and that's what that place was how long did it stay open i want to say 18 months 18 months um you know and and we had a lot of really really good talented people that are now all running their own restaurants in this town trying to make the thing work it just you know you can't you can't hit a home run every time and yeah i feel like you you need there's a certain level the culture again back to culture culture isn't what you say you are what you tell your guests you're trying to be it's what is happening behind the doors every day it's the language you're using it's the routines and the rituals and the that's the and routines and rituals are the hard things that you do every day to like inventory like yeah. P&L like costs and like really like drilling down on labor and like that's all culture it doesn't Absolutely. sound it's systems and processes but those are things that you are doing wrapping Christmas presents is culture it's a process <laughs> you got to do it right yeah. like you're still doing the thing right yeah. and I think that's how we have to look at these things right yeah if we don't then the the alternative is right. you better find something else right to, that you're better at so how did you feel during this time? You know, that, it, 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 coming from the Town Talk Diner where I think everybody was, we were also invested. And it was, you know, the days of 14, 16, 18 hour days. And then we'd finish up and then we would drink for another two, three, four hours. Um, and then come right back the next morning for brunch. And, but that, that connect connection with with those that I was working with Kim and Tim and Aaron and and Nick and you know Adam and it, it that was lost at the prairie house even though many of them were involved in that and we were all still there it was now we felt or I felt especially that I was just Working for the man. Right. And, and mommy and daddy weren't really there anymore. Not to call Tim no. and Aaron mommy and daddy, but they were, in a sense, the constant pressure, the constant gentle pressure of saying, this is how we do it. Yeah. And having any personal investment in it after, say, the first eight, 10 months was tough to find. Yeah. You know, and I would still go through it, and I, I, I've never been one to, to back down from a challenge, and I would still be there. How much did you learn about yourself with that experience? Whew. I learned, I've learned a ton, um, probably more of what not to do. Biggest lessons of what not to do. Uh, don't forget about yourself and your needs, mental, physical, you know, emotional. Um, that place was draining for a while. What was the lowest point for you? 
there I think it was, you know, the impending doom of closure was, and and also thinking that I could still do it. What were the emotions you were feeling? And I could still do it on my own, and that those that weren't as invested still as me had given up, and, and you know, they were weak, and they were, you know, they, you're giving up, not only are you giving up on, on, on uh, this John and his, his, his drinking buddies, but you're also... You're leaving me behind, and you know, and so there was there was definitely those times where I'm like, I can do this on my own, hmm. you know, can fuck you? fuck all of you, I got this. I'll put the, the the whole damn team on my back, and I'll carry us through this. And how'd that go? Well, <laughs> <laughs> but I learned a ton. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm putting you on the spot. And yeah. I appreciate you getting vulnerable. Uh, so I think we can move to the next. So uh, cafe, um, cafe mod. Yeah, mod. You know, that's right across the street from uh, Pete's restaurant. And actually, Pete's restaurant used to be our private dining room, uh, where Red Wagon Pizza is. It used to be called the Armitage Room, and that was our. We had a private dining area across the street from. The restaurant, which oh, is, the Red Wagon. You said, yeah, like the, Red Wagon. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So that that used to be part of um, Cafe is that right Mod. down the street. Yeah, oh, I didn't realize we're that close. Yeah, Cafe Mod was great. Um, you know, I learned a ton. I started there, kind of after this bitter end with Prairie House, and what what am I going to do? And I still had this this dream of, you know, I'm going to open my own thing. Yeah. Um, so the dream is, is it's still there. You know, it, it was it was so big going to culinary school, coming out of culinary school. And then when I started the town talk, I had this kind of this epiphany that was like, you don't know shit. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, maybe take a few years, learn the craft, you know, like at that point, it was, it was, fuck up on someone else's dollar. (laughs) I was so passionate. And, and that was the days, you know, 2007, 2008, this celebrity chef was like, you know, like if, if you can't make a, perfect beurre blanc or you know what are you going to do with this gastrique that's different you know, like so and so i dove in molecular gastronomy was like you know it was it was kind of like i i just want to be the best chef i don't even care about you know i want a james beard award or i want you know i want to work in you know so so i'd kind of left behind the I want to open a dive bar and, and cook great smash burgers. Well, it's funny it how was, you evolve as you let yourself <laughs> have impressions yeah. be on you you know yeah and and you see these people that are that know more than you and and I'm like well so I I took a breather Prairie House obviously and it kind of knocked some of the wind out of my sails and then Cafe Mod then reignited that and it independently owned by one gentleman um, who was in textiles and and Turkish imports and interesting um, had owned some coffee shops but. Uh, you know, and what was what was sorry? If if he's listening, um, didn't know shit about restaurants, but also so loved like ninety percent of other restaurant owners loved <laughs> engaging with people, and 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 you know he always had that big goblet of red wine, and he'd walk around that dining room and hugs and kisses and this and that. But the back end, the operations of a restaurant, or, or putting systems into place, or even. Uh, taking a look at the bottom line wasn't, you know, that place was his ATM and he would pull money out as needed, um, but also didn't have a passion other than how do I host a party every night? And, and but you said this is where your spark came back. It, it did come back because I said, man, or I could, your, your ignition is what if you this said. guy is in, and Cafe Mod was around for a long time, almost 10 years. You know, if this guy can do it, okay. man. <laughs> 
Right. I can do this. Okay. So and, and it was the light at the end of the tunnel that you saw that. Yeah. Like, if he's doing it, I know I have the opportunity. I, the ability. I, I could do this. Okay. I could do this. So you were there in 2012. This, so this is still 10 years before you open your own place. Yeah. So 2012 to 2003, your, um, your spark is back. Yeah. You're getting you know, lessons I'm on what not to do. a couple of years. I opened a new, uh, a new a second location with Cafe Mod down in Loring Park. Um, and, you know, multi-operations now, uh, multi-units uh, as a corporate executive chef. So I'm bouncing back and forth. How many with, locations? Just two. Okay. Um, and then the private event room. But it was, it, it was great, and, and it was what I wanted to do at that point was I think I'm a really good leader of people. And so I, I, I leaned on those strengths and how do I get, you know, I guess – how do I get my platoon behind me? I'm going to lead them into this battle. We're going to finish it. We're going to high five and take a shot afterwards. And then, you know, and then I'll go do the same with the other team. And, and, you know, a lot of those cooks and and there's, I think I've got three or four of those cooks that work for me, even back at town talk diner. I've got two guys that that are here, um, a prep cook and a dishwasher that, that, that go back that far, but, you know, assembling this army to go into battle, um, I think at, at Cafe Mod, I really started seeing that and, and putting together my team that I wanted to, you know, and the vision at that point was, can I do it in five years? Can I do it in seven years? The vision to get to, to open your own place in five years or, or yeah. seven years. So it sounds like the big evolution in terms of, or the transformation for you is like, okay, back to this idea of leadership, but now it's like a, a it's a point of evolutionary leadership where... I mean, when you were working for the family business, you were like appointed this position and you had to earn that respect through yeah. your hard work. Um, sounds like that's the same thing that was going here is you're, you're developing respect, you're leading these people into battle, but did you change as a leader? Yeah, I'm, you know, I think we all, if we're not still evolving, we should be because, you know, I, I learn every day and if I, there's days that I look, at myself and say, God damn it, you know, you're falling back on these old habits or, you know, like. What are the um, old habits? I think stubborn ways or or not being open-minded or not taking a breath and taking a step back and listening, you know, even if it's just not listening to to people, just listening, listening to the owls or. Listening matters, man. Listening and, and just to music, you know, listening to, you know, what your car engine sounds like, like just taking a breath. Um, I find myself some days working uh, or moving at 120 miles an hour where I don't get that still to this day. And I think, you know, that's commonplace with, with a lot of people um, or most people probably, you know, if it's, if it's in in your parenting skills, if it's in, you know, uh, your schoolwork, if it's in, you know, your financial report that you're turning in, to the, to the bank officer. I, I, you know, we all kind of, you gotta, we gotta take time for ourselves. Well, sometimes we're just, this industry is so demanding. You're just so heads down doing the work, doing the work. You never really take the time to take a few step backs and go and like inhale. Yeah. Inhale. What's happening around. Take me? a breather. Like what are and people the, And saying? then look around like here, my wife reminds me constantly and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy the little bit. Like those little successes, you know, that all the candles are lit and you didn't have to tell anybody, 
You didn't have to remind anybody that the toilet paper needs, like all those little things that we've, that are imperative to the service and to the experience we want to offer um, are all getting done. And it's, it's through a lot of coaching and it's through a lot of hard work and it's never, you know, like at the end of the day, does the candle matter? Probably not, but man, it's so nice. Yeah, but we came in for our two-year anniversary, my wife and I, and the kids, and we had some other friends and a couple of, um, a lot of the regulars were here, and that was just Sunday night. And I had a big brass band, and it was more of a party. And I, God, I, I I went crazy on the comp tab, you know, (laughs) about three thousand dollars in comps that night. And I looked at it the next day, I'm like, oh God, whoops, send them around, (laughs) send them around. Um, But being able to sit at a business that that you know. Um, consumes 16 hours of my day, 18 hours of my day, you know, keeps me up at night. Being able to sit in this place with my wife and kids and, and just enjoy, you know, I'm going to get emotional, but like that is, is, is that success. Hard to put a price on that. That is success. And that is, it was so cool. And it was so, it's, you know, when did this happen? This is Sunday. This is past like two years. Yeah. Two, two years, years celebration. Two year anniversary party. That's awesome, man. That's congratulations. I'm the only one that's going to throw Get emotional, a, man. Let it I'm, out. I'm the only one that's going to that throw shit. myself a birthday party. So. <laughs> but I think it's important that you, um, you're absolutely right. And I, I'm guilty of this. Like, I'm somebody who's just head down, next interview, next yeah. interview, next interview. Ten years you've been doing yeah, this. Yeah, like, this is where I want to be. This is the goal. Yeah. I'm not there yet, but look how far I've come. And I yeah. feel like that's what you're feeling right yeah. now is like, you want things to be perfect. The, yeah. the, the candle's not lit. Big deal. Look at what I have. Yeah, exactly. Like, look at what, how far we've come. Yeah, yeah, take it in. And, and sometimes in order to go forward, you have to look back and, and inspire yourself. Yeah. You know, this is what I did. So, so at I Mod, I knew I could do this as long as I'm laser focused. Yeah. And, and you know, I've never... Works. Ne- it, it's never scared me. I'm not, you know, 18 hours a day. Shit, that's easy. That's, you know, I watched my dad do that for years to raise five boys to put us into the sports we wanted to play. And, and so it was kind of like a challenge. Like, I, I, by any means necessary, I can get there. As long as I, you know, hard work, determination, keep your head down, keep going. Um, and then, you know, surround yourself with good people. So at Cafe Mod, I started, I guess, kind of assembling my army and, and moved from Cafe Mod. Um, you know, I had a couple of, you know, I had a consulting gig and this and that. But the, the next big stop then was, was um, Coup d'etat. Yeah. Um, and Coup d'etat was great. You know, this giant 340-seat French fine dining restaurant opened by Jester Concepts and the opening chef and partner, Nick O'Leary. Um, fantastic chef, um, great guy, uh, super passionate, great food. Um, but he was also a, a, an owner operator there with, um, another dear friend of mine, Brent Frederick. And, you know, they didn't work out as partners. So I want to get into this. Um, and you know that I'm going to make those tiers a highlight. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm getting 100 <laughs> likes on that one. Um, so uh, so it was Brent and who? Um, Nick O'Leary was the opening chef. And then Brent Frederick, who is, um, along with Tim Niver, I would say he's probably the most influential um, person in my restaurant career. I think, you know, I learned a lot from him. He entrusted me with, with, with a restaurant that he had, you know, 
I don't know how much it cost, but you know, it could have been a three, four million dollar build, and then you know, all the investment, the constant investment, and it, and and it was a, it, it was one of those that that could have been great if it was in a different location, but location is everything, and the the uptown Minneapolis wasn't ready for a three hundred seat French fine dining restaurant. Okay, you know, that first year, you know, I think Nick and and Tyler, who was his sous chef at the time. Left maybe after six months. I came on maybe eight or nine months into a, a restaurant that was, I mean, we were doing 100 to $150,000 a week. I mean, it was, it was busy. Wow. You know, a five, $6 million restaurant. Um, but to see, you know, and, and Uptown at that time was, you know, all these five over ones were, were coming up. And it was apartments, 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 apartments. And it was a lot of... 20 something early 30 it was newly gentrified let's just put it that way and they want a nightclub or they want you know a good slice of pizza but they they don't want frog legs right they don't want oysters (laughs) so that's just one of those so is it safe to say the biggest lesson here at kudeta was just not having the the restaurant in the right market yeah, the traffic. Yeah, I mean, if that thing was downtown, it, it, it potentially could still be there. I mean, right. And Brent's got a number of restaurants downtown: P.S. Steak and the New Butcher and the Boar and Burrow and Parlor and Manello and Constantine. And he's done a, a ton. And he's, you know, he's arguably um, one of the best restaurateurs uh, or most notable restaurateurs in in, in in Minneapolis. Yeah, and this what's his last name? Nick Brent. Frederick. Oh, sorry, Brent Frederick. Thank you. Um, I'm always making, this is my research. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll put you in touch with <laughs> him. He yeah. is, he is great. Um, looks like I'm coming back to Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, I, and I learned I love it. this city. Honestly, I, this is one of the cities I feel like I could see myself living in. I mean, I drive around it's like, so great. this is like, I, I see this kind of being up there with like, it's kind of has like, uh, I think Columbus, Ohio is a cool city. It's coming up. Uh, yeah. Austin is getting a little bit too big for my yeah. britches, if I'm being honest. Um, but the, like these cities, like where their yeah. food is amazing, it's small, their space, it's affordable. Yeah. Like I think the Midwest and like the on the other side of the coast, like going the other direction, like the Boises of the, the world, yeah. like those are the places to be. Wichita, places like that, like these are these, Omaha, Nebraska. These, if you haven't been, I have, I haven't, but I have to. It's great. There's so much momentum in these towns because it's affordable. There's bones. You know, yeah. like there's literally like bones, empty bones, brick buildings that you can just move into, mm-hmm. you know, like these are momentum markets um, for sure. Uh, and I think the the growth in the restaurant scene here over the past 10 years is proof of that. Yeah, absolutely. So you said on record, you know, that this is at, at um, coup d'etat was where you really kind of grew the most. And it was it went from being a chef to taking a business perspective. Yes. What were the biggest business lessons you learned here? You, you kind of talked about location, location, location. Location was, yeah. That, but actually, uh, how do I? Is this Take, where it gets awkward? <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, it, and it's tough because, you know, it, even today, um, profitability to me is, is still something in the future. Like, I know it's going to come because karma says it's going to come if i if i do right um are we in present day right now we're talking about what you're doing here we're, we're talking about mr paul's supper club right now profits are going to come and we've been profitable every month since we opened um which knock on wood is going to continue and we've exceeded our expectations when you say so, profitable do you mean in the black in or the black. like profitable like you're in the black okay 
which is which is terrific. And and you know, I think there's this age old, you know, it takes two to three years to profit in a restaurant. No, if you do it right, um, it doesn't take two to three years. You just need to manage your numbers right. And and so what I learned at Coutetan, I think the most imperative thing um, from a business st- standpoint, if I put that hat on, is uh, uh, managing by the numbers and taking a look and reading reports and, you know, digging into your drill down reports and QuickBooks and, and looking at what is it going to take for me to be here in two years? What's it going to take for me to be here in five years? What, what do you mean by that? What's it going to take for me to be here? How do I, you know, when's a good time to invest in marketing? When's a good time to pull back in that and, and spend money on repairs and maintenance? It, it just. So as cash flow is coming cash in. Cash flow is important. Where are we money redirecting that? Yep. And there's a restaurant um, right down the street here, Tilia. Um, St. Genevieve, Stephen Brown is the chef's name, and he's, you know, uh, he's been nominated for multiple beard awards. He's a great friend of Peter Campbell's, and I'm sure, uh, I'm not sure if his name came up, but if it didn't, uh, Stephen is fantastic. Uh, I think it might have. He told me, uh, it might have been at one of my soft openings, and he was like, man, you've got a winner here, you know, and this is early, 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 a week or two into this, the, the tenure here, and maybe it was a friends and family even, maybe we hadn't even opened and he said, my, my, the best advice I can give you at this point is keep the cash in the bank. <laughs> and, and that's still the mantra. You know, like, what, is, what is the message there? I think it's you know, protect yourself. And I think we want, you know, like we're, I'm trying to, to set up a foundation for an institution that's going to be here for a long time. And I look at these, the, the restaurants that I consider institutions that are open 15, 20 years, restaurant Alma, Manny's Steakhouse, you know, even some of the corporate chains, like, you know, the, the, the Capitol grills and the ocean, what do they do? It's, it's the same every time it's consistency, but it's also following, following all of that, like following the roadmap to success. Um, And that's, you know, managing things by the numbers and saying, you know, hey, hey, guys, here's our, we want our goal, our our target goal here is 60% on prime costs. Now we, we're normally around 52 to 55%, which is fantastic. And that means more drops to the bottom line, which means now we have more money to either share the wealth with employees and I'm, um, my wife would say, and my business partners that I'm generous to a fault, um, but I'm investing in being an institution. I'm not trying to... You're not thinking, like, how can I put money in my pockets now? No. How can I play the long game? How, because I can't do yeah. this alone. No. I think now's a great time to take a break, thank our sponsors, and we'll be back to talk about the continued evolution of what you got going on here in Minneapolis. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience 
experiences. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And man, I'm getting excited because without prompting you, you just started sharing percentages, prime costs, yeah. <laughs> keep money in the bank. During the break, I asked if you were cool with sharing profit margins and stuff like that. And I think we're about to get a great lesson here. Yeah. Uh, and this is more of the kind of conversations I want to have, but I never expect people to to talk about this stuff. You know, it's personal. Yeah. You know, like you don't need to like show the world how much money you're bringing home. I get yeah. that. But I think that in order for us to, to strive and to get a better idea of the reality of where the industry is and what is possible, you know, um, I think it's good that we start talking about this stuff. So. We popped off by saying, keep the money in the bank. When I heard you say that, in my mind, this is when did this gentleman, who was the gentleman that said this to you? Stephen Brown, Chef Stephen, Stephen Brown. Brown. He said, um, keep the money in the bank. Was that advice, stay liquid? Like, this is, was this opening day? I think it, it was either opening day or maybe even at one of the, the soft openings or, or media days or, or shortly thereafter. It was in the first couple of weeks of opening. Right. Do you think the message was, you know, like you're opening, cash is coming right now, like keep money in the bank. You're going to need runway after the, the, you know, the splash in the pan simmers down a little bit. Is, yeah. that, is that the message? I think it was, you know, it, make sure you're protected. And also, I mean, Stephen had just opened his 
he, he had consulted on a number of other restaurants, but he had just opened his second restaurant maybe three or four years prior. But he had opened Tilia, and then I think it was two or three years later he opened St. Genevieve. And, you know, opportunities present themselves when uh, developers or when, when people see success, they want to attach themselves to right. it. And, and we were fortunate in our first... You know, even last week we did 1,600 guests through this restaurant last week, and that doesn't include the sandwich shop, the po' boy shop, or the three nights we had buyouts back here. I mean, um, to walk 2,000 people through this restaurant um, a week with the you know the wedding buyout we had and the corporate event for Medtronic and this and that that's it's an insane amount that when I wrote my business plan, which you know. Hindsight, I think I, I, I probably, I've learned a lot since I wrote that. Um, what did you learn? Man, I, I did, you know, like, I taught myself how to run a business plan. It was about 60 pages long and, and, and putting together a performa um, based on a performa that was, was furnished to me and then, and then trying to do projections and, and this is where my cash flow balance is. And when you say a performa that was furnished to you, meaning the projections, what you thought, like, Tailoring that poor a, a friend of mine that, that, that owns restaurants had okay. shared with me their, the template that they had used. Um, Don't be afraid to go to your friends. Yeah. They're more willing to help than you realize. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it, imperative to, my, to our success, but also um, for any expansion I'm, I'm, I'm planning on doing and, and things that are in the works. And, you know, I, I call Brent all the time and we sit down and have coffee or a beer and and I, you know, I talk to Peter all the time about, you know, I've got another concept over here um, that I'm working on that will open next spring. But it's it's all these, you know, hey man, what do you think of this? Hey, that sounds how do like you an think immersion this blunder. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you, you have, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know, just going to these people, and I think you you mentioned a big word there. You know, your pro forma, and I yeah. think that's where people get in trouble in opening a restaurant is they just severely underestimate what it's going to cost. You do. What were the things? Did you underestimate? Yeah. I, you know, I think I, I we were coming out of COVID when I got yeah. this opportunity. Um, and I think it was the immersion fund is yeah. bothering you. Isn't now, it? No, now it sounds like I got a clown's horn back there oh. or something <laughs> from hey, this side. It doesn't bother me for what it's worth. All I right. think it's, I just call out the funny things cause I'm in a restaurant, man. And this is, yeah. I've accepted my fate like that, that that's why I travel around with these $200 microphones because yeah. if you stay up on this thing, that's what the guests will hear. That's all they hear. Yeah. Um, want me to help you remind with me thought where, pro forma. Where, where, okay, you yeah. come up short. Um, well, everywhere, right. <laughs> you know, I think when you put numbers on paper, um, you forget about all the little things yeah. and the intangibles and, and you know, uh, the SBA, as great a system as the SBA is, um, SBA loans and, you know, duping a bank into giving me a couple of million dollars to open this place was, was my biggest success to this day. Why do you think they gave it to you? I think I, you know, it's... Was it a dupe or a good investment? I think it was a great investment. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I, I said, man, these guys... <laughs> we pulled shit. that off. Um, and it was a tough time to find money, especially for the restaurant biz. Um, you know, we were kind of, you know, we were still right in shutdown mode. Yeah. 2022 um, or January, 20, or sorry, December 2021 is when you opened. You just eclipsed your two-year Yeah. But we were in shutdown here in Minnesota 
I think probably longer than anywhere in the nation. Um, you know, it was about a three-month shutdown, reopened with 50% max, maximum occupancy with at least a six-foot distance. So, you know, a restaurant, you know, we can sit 36 people back here in this small little dining area, or it would have been 16 people. Do you think when you opened your restaurant it helped you in a way? Because was it, it hard for... I mean, you probably got a premium on the space, I would imagine, because... Negotiated a, a, a rent that was livable. Realtors were... or not realtors, but real estate owners were desperate at that time to put vendors into their space. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. He had, this developer, who was the gentleman that was walking by dancing, that developed this restaurant, um, fantastic man. Uh, and, you know, he kind of gave me a leg up. I was looking at little... Uh, essentially, like... Who didn't make it? You know, because I started this project in September of 2020, um, just after Labor Day. And, it, you know, it was kind of that, that was that we're six months or, or four months after, four to six months after we had started reopening here in Minnesota. Maybe not even. Yeah. It, it was it just, slowly starting to open that summer. I think yeah. things started really kind of to open up, even though it was like 50%, right? Yeah. And then we had another shutdown in December of that right. year that, that lasted until almost Valentine's Day. But you were Day. building out at that point. I was. I, you know, I started in, say, September of... A year and two months. 20, and, it, it, you know, and that was, you know, projections and performers and going to the banks. And, and then, you know, it took over a year to get the thing from paper to, to where we're at now. Um, so back to this question around pro formas, what was the, if there's one area that it's an oversight, that was an oversight for you that you can kind of give people a heads up on? Labor, 100%. Yeah. Labor and cost of goods, and they're the two biggest. Obviously, they say if you can manage those, the rest kind of falls in. And, and right. You're doing 52% is, right now, which is, you know, they say that you, you want to get it below 60. Yeah. So you're doing, you got eight points below and, the, and the average. And 60 used to be so good. Like, right. That was always my target. You know, 62, 60, 60 was so good. And money's expensive to borrow now. Rents are more expensive. Uh, labor is, is astronomical. I, I, I remember what I was making as an executive chef, even at, say, coup d'etat, compared to what I pay um, my guys now. And, it, and it's, I think it's very important, and I want to offer as much as I can possibly pay these you know i've got 90 staff here and i want them all to make a million bucks a year right if, if there was a way i could do that so before we get to like where you are today right because yeah. we, we have two years to cover real quick yeah. and i want to go back to the opening right money yeah. in the bank first what was the first six months like was it gangbusters out of the gangbusters gates? it was the <laughs> roaring 20s yeah and it was um i think a lot of people experience that in the biz those that that I guess took that leap of faith when 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 I did, you know. I mean, we we America, I think, um, wow, they're hungry. Gained forty thousand real estate agents right. <laughs> during the pandemic, and it was all these restaurant um, employees jumping ship because you know the, the looking at the future at that point, it, it everything was scary, and you know how am I ever going to go back into that, and is there ever going to be a future in that and now? I'm at that crux where I can make this thing that I've been, you know, like I don't want to bartend forever. I don't want to serve forever. And, and so, so many people left. Um, I think we've gotten 
a lot of them back. Yeah. Maybe not all the ones we wanted. But Why do you think they're coming back? I think that, you know, I don't know. It's like. I think we're paying more for starters. We are. I mean, like that, like you can't argue that cost of goods or labor expenses have gone up for owners. But you know, I don't know what has prices have gone up, and I think that this is one thing that I like to talk about. Is like I think we need to really. I actually was talking to to Pete, Peter um, Campbell, Campbell yeah, yeah, yesterday. And we we're talking off air, um, and I, I didn't. I actually did not know this that it's illegal for restaurant owners to talk about what they're going to charge. It's like it's considered like. Um, what's the like the word like uh like when you like collusion is the word I think oh, he used really? that like restaurant owners aren't allowed to talk with other restaurant owners about how they're going to increase prices because it's collusion. Wow. I don't think I'm oversharing. I hope no, I'm not no. oversharing. No, with that. <laughs> but like I'm just like, how is that a thing? Yeah. How 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 can you discourage restaurant owners to communicate with each other to figure out what it takes to survive? Yeah, and I, that's and like it's not about taking. It's not about. It's not about screwing the consumer over. It's like, what do we need to take care of our people? Yeah. Is the conversation. I want to make sure I'm paying in the top 3% of what, what dishwashers make. When and, he and, said that, I was like, is that true? Sorry, and, I, cut you, I cut you short. And, and what? I want to make sure that my service staff is making in the top 3%. Of, like, I, I want to make sure that these people are taken care of. And I'm sorry, but unapologetically charge the guests what it takes to get to that end. It, if If... And I've got a. In my mind, I want all my cooks to make over fifty thousand a year. Is it illegal for me to be talking to you about this right I now? I don't think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> am I, I not allowed to ask you like how? Like I've what, never like, heard that. So like I, because I, 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 my whole message is talk to people. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be public. I on ask this platform. everybody um, yeah. that I know. Hey, hey, what are you paying your cooks? You know, like other restaurateurs and chefs. Like, what's your median over there? Like, I think minimum wage is the worst thing ever because it yeah. gives people permission to be shitholes to yeah. their, their employees like that you can pay them this little yeah. that's okay no it's not yeah, yeah. minneapolis know? is is 300 feet let, that let way let the gig economy take the people <laughs> who like don't like we are 300 let's feet rise from, above the gig from economy minneapolis <laughs> we are in edina here yeah um you know that that first tier suburb that's minneapolis is where you parked your car and we are edina right now Minneapolis is a, a mandatory minimum wage of fifteen thirteen an hour or something, and over here it's still like ten sixty five or some like arbitrary bullshit number. Right. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to pay at least what Minneapolis is paying for front of the house staff. Yeah. Um, plus their gratuities and tips, and back of the house, I don't have anybody in this kitchen that makes less than twenty an hour. Probably. It, Two people that make less than twenty two an hour. We get about twenty minutes left together. Yeah, I want to make sure that we spend the next twenty minutes talking about the ways you think you can add the most value to our listeners. What haven't we discussed in terms of what you are doing here? Lessons learned the hard way. Things you're doing right that has made what you're doing here yeah. at St. Paul's Park Dinner Club like a success. Yeah. Um. Well. Sorry, supper club. Sorry. St. Paul's, too. <laughs> what did I say? St. Paul's again? Mr. Paul. Mr. Paul. Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm destroying uh, this, right? Mr. Paul's you know, like, Supper I, Club. Thank you, my man. I Sorry. guess well, things I've learned. You have to keep in mind there's a lot of restaurants that run through my head. <laughs> <laughs> Ten of these a week. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> things I've learned is, is you know, I've learned a, a ton about myself. You know, I've learned about sacrifice and, and when it's good and when it's bad. And, and uh, you know... 
taking time for me and my wife and, and the kids and, you know, my family and, and not going to get too emotional again, but I lost my mom. I'm sorry. While I was working uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, opening Butcher and the Boar down there, and I didn't make enough time. It wasn't, uh, it'll always haunt me, if you will, because like, I was giving everything to this restaurant with the key, uh, the caveat of the next one. The next one was I was going to have a partnership, and the next one I was going to have a partnership, and I kept opening these restaurants, and it was Butcher and the Boar in Minneapolis, and it was Four Bells, and it was Butcher and the Boar down in Charleston, and I gave a year and a half of my life down there um, to a man that was generous, and he was great. Um, but also, at the, at, at the end of the day, you know, I lost so much time with those that are really more important than, than any of this. Yeah. I mean, I love having every guest in here have an experience and a smile, and, and, and I, I am so overwhelmed with the gratitude yeah. when I see them come in and when, when they experience what I'm trying to deliver. But, but I've learned more about myself interpersonally yeah. on, on the dynamics of family and friends yeah. and taking time and, you know, getting on the road and just driving and listening and, and, and feeling it. And it's so important because when I come back in this space, I'm filled up again. Yeah. And now I, I, I've got more in the tank. Don't get me wrong. I think there's definitely that balance that needs to be find, found between work and life. Um, I would say this, though, and I, I worry about this sometimes. You know, like I wasn't home for Thanksgiving. I, I don't know if I'm going to be home for Christmas. Um, but at the same time, and I worry, like I feel bad that I know my mom and my dad want me around. You know, like they, they want that. But at the same time, I know that my, my parents want me and will continue to want me to do the most with yeah. what I have. And I think that your mom would be proud of the, the, what you were working for. Oh, a thousand percent. You know? And uh, they, they're the first ones to be like, dude, don't come home. We're just having stofers. It's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, anything is like, worth doing if the cause is worthy. You yeah. know, and I think having a worthy cause is a big part of that. Like, are you just, are you making someone else's dream come true? Yeah. Or are you working towards your own yeah. dreams? Because whether you realize it or not, you're working towards a dream. You just have to decide whether or not it's yours or someone else's. Yeah. And I think if you're working towards your own dream, it gives you that endurance. It gives you the, the ability to say, just do, just, just embrace the shitty thing. Embrace yeah. the suck. Because it's it, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've had swing that mic to your right. I think we, we're we've got about ninety employees here, and I think we've probably lost twenty since we opened. Some like, of them. So you're down to seventy, or meaning you like, or you? Do the, I think we've only gone through about twenty years. So two. you've replaced that twenty that you've lost. Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, so it, you got to. Like maybe that's how he got his labor costs down so low. You've got to. <laughs> You've got to push a, a bartender down the steps here to get a job, and, and there are no steps. So um, our staff retention's been great. Um, I, I think it's I think it's paramount to to profitability is is right. taking care of those that are taking care of you. You know, I, well, I trust these guys. I can vacation with my family now. I can I can. I can leave tonight to go to another buddy's restaurant that's celebrating his 20th anniversary and have the confidence that they're going to do right by me and I'm going to do right by them. And, and 
I think the industry, I think the marketplace will pay for it. And I think it that's will. our biggest fear is that we're afraid to charge what we have to to pay our people what they deserve because people won't come in. But when you have the best people, you provide the best experience. You have the long lasting relationships that people come back for because you don't have a rotate a revolving door. Right. Yeah. And that's I think that's what brings people back is like they know me. I know them. Yeah. And like I know what to expect. And I I, I think we undervalue that in this industry. Yeah. Um just had Johnny Zila uh in uh, the COO and Chris Artinian, the CEO from Cond- uh, Condado Tacos in Columbus on the show. Growing like crazy, forty locations, uh scaled to do a hundred in the next Jesus. uh two years are gonna double in size. And when they started only uh, I think two thousand fourteen, only six years ago, they were paying their employees fifteen dollars an hour to start. This is going back six Oh, I seven think I saw ago. this on your Instagram. Yeah, that, that, he that, started fifteen dollars an hour. Oh, a oh, year later he started er, a, a month, month later. later. He gives everybody a raise to 16. A month later, 17. And it would go as high as 18 for the right people. And I think, but I think that's a testament to like, you can't do this alone. And I think you realized that when you were at um, Prairie, Prairie? Yeah. You can't do it alone. And if you're going to remove yourself, if you're going to do what Tim Niver did, right? Yeah. You got to give people autonomy and say, you own this. What reason are you giving them to own it? Yeah. You know, like you have to, if you're going to get out from underneath the umbrella of your business or the thumb of your business to go work on the next project, you can't do it alone. If you're not giving them ownership, literal ownership, yeah, you better be giving them the, the And there money. is opportunity for little, literal ownership. I am, you know, like it's, it sounds it's scary to say that, but 1000% like, a part of, uh, of my business plan. Listen, yeah. Listen to my interview with Ray Villeman and what they're doing in Tahoe. You the, know? the next one, and we are opening a second sandwich shop, Mr. Paul's Pole Boys and Jams here in like three or four weeks, hopefully no later than January 8th, because then I'm taking my wife to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no later than January 8th, we'll be over there. Um, but I'm, but I'm sharing ownership. I'm bringing the ownership group and the investors that are here, which are myself, my wife, um, Courtney Bryden, who's been great. Um, and I know we didn't touch on her earlier and Nikasevich, but Courtney runs, you know, the systems, the front of the house, um, all the events. You know, she was with me at Butcher and the Boar um, for over six years. Nick Kosovich, who goes back to the town talk, he was the beverage director and bar manager there. Um, Without those guys and, and and without those players and, and those pieces, there's no way I would be where right. I'm at. And, and so to say thank you to all of them moving forward. And my brothers invested some money and my dad invested some money. And I, I you know, so it's like the Begno Brothers Investment Group hold, say, 10%. And Carrie and I own... Um, Seventy five percent. I'm happy Courtney. you're mentioning her naming it. Did I, did I cut you short on that train of thought? No, no. Go ahead. You, what are your lanes? If you're what, like, I'm assuming you're back of house. You're a chef. You're creative. You're yeah. so many things beyond that. I'm sure. Uh, what does she bring to the table? What so, her- so Courtney is events. I mean, she does all the systems. It's it's from POS to and these are your partners. Are you talking yeah, about right now? Um, to training to a lot of the events, management, sales, marketing, uh, and then my wife Carrie does. Well, she designed the restaurant, but also she was working on it this morning. You'll, you'll see the flowers. her every day. She she's doing fresh cut flowers. She's she's watering all the plants. She's doing, um, she's kind of the jack of all, but she's also the mother here that that just takes care of everybody. And if you know if uh, so, it's you, if, Carrie, 
Courtney, Courtney. and then Nick is a minority partner here. Um, not involved in day-to-day operations, more weekly he's here a couple couple of shifts a week kind of helping out but he's kind of the beverage director so his vision is the bar um and all that relates to it i mean i think it takes so one of one of our core values here at restaurant unstoppable is collaboration yeah. i think to be competitive today in today's market you can't do it alone and no. that you need to stay in your lane and find people who are strong where you're weak and that can come in the form of literal partners in the business who stay in their lane and yeah. focus on elements of the business that are especially the bar program, which is such a money generator for restaurants. It's huge. Um, or it's working with with outsourcing strategic partners, i.e. your technology stack, i.e. marketing, i.e. 100%. the things that you need to do that if you have to focus on those things and the thing that you're actually good at, you're going to pull away from the thing you're actually good at. Yeah. I, we, would, we wouldn't be where we're at right now without a lot of third parties. Um, the accounting firm... Um, you know, different platforms. I mean, we use Dish Out for all of our tip outs. We use, um, you know, seven shifts. And like technology is part of, and I am old school. I could still write my schedule on a piece of paper. Legal pads are, are my middle name, but um, getting, evolving into what it's going to take to actually be an institution and keep the doors open and then share it with everybody. Like that's, that's where I'm at right now, yeah. and I, I, you know, we're growing. We've got, uh, you know, 2.0 coming here in a month. I've got another project in the works that's probably four or five months out. And two um, boy with the po' boy, with the po' boy, and then I've got a concept yet to be released, but the lease is signed. And and congrats. Uh, but uh, I don't want to jinx it, so I won't ask any more questions. Um, <laughs> that was a knock but, on the but table. I, but I'll tell you, uh, right now, all of my management team that's here. My, my general manager, my bar manager, um, my chefs all own a part of the, the next one. And they'll all own an, a part of the next one. And, and, and as we evolve, those guys will be on in the next LLC. And then the, the LLC after that, they all come with. Um, and so, and that's how we're, we've structured it for these next three. And if there's, if there's expansion past that, they're all like, let's go. Let's do this together. And I want everybody to be able to take their wife to Mexico or, or to go visit you in New Hampshire, whatever it may be like, this is the future. I think this is what I want the future of the industry to be is in recognizing you can't go alone, leaning more on technological automation and system process to do more with less people. We have to, you need to rely on automation and technology so you can execute more with fewer people and then share more with fewer people. Like you know what I'm saying? It's so much easier from a number standpoint to say this software cost me fifteen hundred dollars a month. This cost me four hundred dollars a month. This cost me, and and you extrapolate that over the year. You say we got to charge this much more percentage base. Um, it's so much easier than than trying to find the right people to manage those things um, with limited resources. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and then how are you going to do it? And how are you going to do it? And and still maintain, you know, a better quality of life than what the next guy's. And offering. print out the 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 book. Like where is like I I, I want to encourage people to have a, a binder standing by. So when consumers and customers complain, you can go to the back. You can drop a book on the table and be like, "This is why it costs this much." Yeah, it's. it's <laughs> I mean, and and. 
everybody's in a business of some sort. I, I mean, I have diners here that, that, that are making $5 million a year and, and they all run, you know, like we all run through the same trials and tribulations and, and depending on your staff and this and that, but it's, it's also, you, we just unapologetically have to charge what it costs. And, and the SBA is charging me 9% interest on any SBA loan because that's where Prime's at right now. It has to go somewhere. I, I can't come. I can't eat it, and I can't ask my guys to take a pay cut. So everybody has to chip in on this. The restaurant industry's biggest strength is also its biggest weakness, and that's hospitality. Hospitality. And the synonyms for hospitality is warmth, generosity, congeniality, yeah. neighborliness. Like all these things, we give, we give, we give, and it's gotten to the point where there's just nothing left on yep. the bone for us. And I don't think we're asking too much to be able to provide security to ourselves and the people we work for. Most businesses, if they would look at a restaurant's model and say, I want 8 to 10% profit, <laughs> they would say, you're a fucking idiot. Go open a Batteries Plus and then make 25% profit on sale of batteries that you're bringing in. And like, I mean, we, we claw, like I said, almost $6 million last year. We clawed last year to to get to seven and a half to eight percent profit, which wow. is fantastic. Year two, top line came down, bottom line went up, um, which is a testament to the systems we have in place and trusting the systems and knowing that hey, thirty days isn't a good window to look at how this is actually going to work, and we're implementing this new system. And you know, I know I've I've listened to some of your podcasts and we talk about you. EOSs and traction. You've and, been this since was it before you knew that the was it when Peter yeah, told no, you? No, before. Oh, really? Um, Holy shit! You didn't but tell also, me that. like, Thank I still don't can't remember. Um, Keep going. I'm interrupting. Um, you know, it, believing in in operating system and, and and just the right people and the right places and the aces in the places and the right butts and the right seats and and building this thing for the future and 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 for what my goals are and my goal is to someday be able to retire with my wife on a beach. Yeah. <laughs> and if that may be my goal, how do I, how do I empower these people to help get me to there? And, and how do I give them, I want to give them everything so that they can get there too. Right. So you were at six to 7% last year profit. Yeah. And you said you've, you're able to increase the, or I decrease think we'll, the top line. We should the- be at 10% this year, uh, which is, which is great. And I think in year three, I think we can even tighten some screws here. And, and you know, I, I don't think, I think we dropped about three and a half to four percent year over year on sales, but we are also not the hot new kid in town. What about catering? Um, events are, are doing huge. We don't do a ton of offsite catering only because um, I don't know if there's a market over here for it, but um, private events, we've seen our sales in that go up um what about quite a live events you have the space i'm like because one of the things i was curious about is like you call yourself you know your mr paul's supper club yeah what about charging like a monthly premium to be part of a club where you get some special attention something in the works um make that shit happen bro i think uh, (laughs) i think you get great revenue the uh we do these um and there's so many different moving pieces here, but the the backdoor burger bar, which I I, th- I think is 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 got legs of its own. 
And that's every Friday, Saturday in the Po' Boy Shop. So the Po' Boy Shop is 11 to 3. We close that down. And then at 4 o'clock, we reopen as this whole new concept, which is just burgers. And we do little pop-up installations. It's Bob Burgers, Bob's Burgers. And it's like the SpongeBob pop-up yeah, that, that will run. And, that Po' Boy has opportunity. That has legs. And uh, But adding different revenue centers and adding something different that, you know, people over here don't see and, and you know, expect the unexpected here at Mr. Paul's and use your outside voices inside. I want it to be loud. I think we're intentional in, 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 all part in of our ways and, and, and then just value yourself, value, you know, I think at the end of the day, know what it's going to take, um, to make a dollar and, 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 and get it. I'm going to ask you a few more questions to wrap this thing 100%. up. hundred um, percent. Restaurant Unstoppable's mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How do we transform the industry intentionally? If we're where we're currently at today, how do, where, what's the future look like to make it a better industry? How do we be intentional? Like, what does it need to look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, that's a tough one. Uh, I, educating, to your gut, bro. educating the consumer and what it takes is imperative for the future of restaurants. It, it, it just, they need to know how important it is. Um, it, it, we can't possibly lose any more restaurant professionals. I think, you know, we kind of almost started over. We lost, you know, I think in Minneapolis, you know, there was talks of we lost 20 to 30% of these restaurant professionals that have been bartenders or servers or these, these career people that have been in this industry for so long. And we lost them. And then we started out with greenhorns, and now we've built them back up. Is this going to be this kind of this interim? I'm in a rock band, but I'm, I'm also a bartender. But as soon as my rock band career takes off, are you going to leave this industry? Or can we make this industry into something? How do we that, keep you? That offers health benefits. Can we keep it? Uh, can we make it into something that that you get paid vacation, maternity and paternity, and this and that? Um, yes, we can. It's yeah. just like any other business. It's one of the largest uh, businesses in, in in America. It's either second or third. Yeah, and I've heard like it's like it's like government, healthcare, then hospitality. I mean, we yeah. we go to uh, the Lululemon store right here, and people literally will pay one hundred thirty dollars for a pair of sweatpants. You bring up a great point. And I wanted to go here. So, like, thank you so much. This is a book that I reference, and I got to re- listen to it again. I have it in audio. It's called The, the Town Food Saved. Yeah. And it takes place in, like, some town in Vermont. And the, in that book, they quote, um, like, the average household, like, the 1950s or something like that, um, the average household spent 20% of their income on food. Today, it's, like, less than 10%. Yeah. We're, and it's funny to put it into, like, relation, like, we we're constantly we're always talking about like what's your prime cost like what's your percent like you know what's your your percent for like rent what's your percent for you know like all these different like what are you left over with there is room for the consumer to give us some of those points yeah hundred about ten percent hundred percent you know and, <laughs> yeah. and it's about like it's like what we have to do is reevaluate the culture and the values in our yeah. culture but I don't blame the consumer. No, because it's been about 70 years of the, turning the water up in the frog Yeah, because we fucked up the food system and we started cranking out $5 burgers, Yeah, you know, and that's all the consumer knows. Yeah. If you're alive today, that's what you know. But I think that what they don't know is how much the food system has been fucked with over the past 70 years. 
you know, centralizing the food system, like streamlining things, they want experience. They want, you know, healthy food. They want um, heritage grain. They want like organic this, organic yeah. that. They want from scratch. And that all costs it's like a, a shit ton of money. Yeah. And it's just like, and we should give them those things because that's what's best for the, the it's, it's better for carbon footprint. It's better for sustainability. Yeah. But we, I don't, and why doesn't the government get involved with this? Probably because it's a very profitable machine for them. Yeah. The, we've gotten so good at cranking out grains, you yeah. know, like it's like, do we really want to lose that revenue to like, like what happened? Like, I don't know from like a macroeconomic level what that yeah. looks like and why there's so much resistance but the the it's we're clearly fucking up the our country and as far as like the soil, like we oh, destroyed yeah. the topsoil. <laughs> like we are like we are like people are fat and sick and cancerous and all this stuff. And like, so is in our country. Like yeah. the literal like bedrock that we sit on is dying. Yeah, you know, and scary. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on. No, no, of a rant. no. That that rant. you're right on there. And, yeah. And yeah, I you know the. The economics of making it in this business are unlike any other business. And like I was in retail, um, we had a retail line at Butcher and the Boar of sausages, and we distributed them through a, a large grocery store franchise here in, in Minnesota. And just you know, like those negotiations with them were, were, it was so painful to see what their profit margin was, as opposed to what it cost me to manufacture it. And, and then get the co-packing done and the labeling. And, and it's okay for them to make a 60% margin on their end, but it wasn't okay for me to make a 5% margin. It, it's just the... It, 10 points, man. Man, 20% to want. less than 10%. <laughs> yeah. Where's that money going? My fucking spanks, dude. I have the best <laughs> pair of Lululemon. I have $130. Countless I kids over there a couple of weeks streaming ago. member, like streaming services. I need Netflix. I need HBO. I need wow, how many, how many are yeah. there today? Yeah. People are spending hundreds of dollars a month on entertainment and they are, they're listening to less than less than point zero one percent of all the content they have. Access oh to. yeah. They, and they'll never get there. Yeah. I mean, I've what matters more? This damn iPhone. <laughs> I, I think I, I know about 2% of the capabilities. Of and that's marketing at its finest, dude. It is. Like, it's, and we're, it's genius. And in, in like that's what we're competing with, you know? It, but I do think that conscious capitalism is on the rise. And I think yeah. it's only going to rise faster if we start echoing this shit. Yeah. And educating, education, education. Yeah. This podcast, you know, other podcasts out there that talk about, like, hey, man, there's. There is an equality out there or something that's more equitable. Quality over quantity is on the rise, bro. Yeah. And, yeah. and what do we want to give and what do we want to take? And, you know, I want to take my piece, but I also want to give away as much as I can, uh, knowing that everybody else is protected and I'm doing just fine mm. and I will be just fine. That was a loaded answer to a supposed to be a short <laughs> question. Um, what is one thing your business does, values, process, systems, uncommon, that's just uncommon, that makes you unstoppable? Um, shit. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, it, the same thing we keep talking about is empowering people and empowering people and empowering people. And, you know, I think, you know, I've surrounded myself with, you know, my management team is, is five women and myself and it's fantastic i mean nick and ainsley my bar team um are fantastic but um women run the world 
women are smarter than men, as the Grateful Dead once said. Um, and giving them kind of this, this place where a, a business that was traditionally run by men, um, giving them the opportunity to make some decisions that, that maybe I don't always agree with. <laughs> um, but empowering, you know, my wife is, is fantastic, and she's, she's that one that, that has taught me about manifesting things and putting things into this vortex, which, you know, I was always like, yeah, okay, put it into vortex, <laughs> take it back. But holy shit, in three years' time, it, you know, you put it out there and it's coming back. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, what we've done here with our staff and, you know, I, I'm more proud of, uh, of, you know, I think it's a beautiful restaurant and the fact that, you know, it's gorgeous, we still bro. have a couple thousand people a week coming through here two years in. We're past the honeymoon stage. We're, we're getting, you know, we'll sell over $100,000 in gift cards in the month of December for the holidays. That means, you know, arguably another 10,000 guests, first timers, or 20,000. Who knows? Are they $50 cards? They, like it's, it's gorgeous. Man. It's amazing. All these people are going to come in to see what we're doing here. Um, but having a team that can deliver something in experience even higher than I can deliver is, yeah. is, is important. I don't usually do research until like an hour before my interview. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm Good. being fully honest. <laughs> and the reason, I mean, the speed of trust, like I trust Peter yeah. Campbell that he's referring me to you. I just yeah. know it's going to be good. And I show up, I do a little bit of research. I walked into this place and I was like, holy shit. Like I didn't, I, like you hear things like Mr. Paul. Yeah. And you're not thinking like this place is nice. Yeah. Is Supper it, club. Like, yeah. Like, like, you know, uh, like it leaves an impression. You guys did a beautiful job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, again, the mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. So how have you personally transformed? I think if we're going to transform the industry. Yep. It starts with transforming one person at a time. So give us an example of how you've transformed over time. How me, myself has transformed. Yeah. Close my mouth and listen. <laughs> I mean, I I would say the biggest thing I've taken out of, you know, being a restaurateur and, and you know, I had this, my dream was to be in the kitchen and be the, the chef operator um, and touching every dish and cooking everything and, and basting every piece of halibut. And that's not, that, that's not the case. And that's not possible in the footprint I have here. You know, that could be possible if I had 30 or 40 seats, which was my original vision was this small, tiny restaurant. But the metrics didn't work. When I started doing the math, it was how do I get this to work if I'm going to be paying $9,500? i happy that came bucks. out eventually. Like um, the throughput matters. And you oh, it does. The, the amount of work you have to do to run a restaurant doesn't change that much based on the size no. of the restaurant. No. <laughs> like you still got to go through the same motions. You do. You just got, you're just working with a larger numbers. support staff and, yeah. and different numbers. But at the end of the day, um, it, it, the graph says that it, the more people we can do it. And, uh, this is a weird balance. It's a weird dance because at the same time, like you increase your footprint, that increase your operational costs. And unless you're good enough to drive traffic to it. So it, it, you, not everybody can pull. Oh, it it's scary. Yeah, for but, sure. You know, I've, I, I think, um, the biggest thing I've learned and the biggest thing it, it, was it the biggest thing I've learned or the biggest thing I've left? What was the question again? Um, it's how you've transformed. Like, yeah. so like I didn't ask the last question about, no, no. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, You're getting ahead of me. Um, I've transformed in the way that, that, you know, I think, I think 
my role has transformed, but I've also, yeah, um, my ideology on, on how I'm going to go about the next two years. Thank you, ladies. Two years after that, (laughs) the ladies, but yeah, shut up, listen, take a breath. You know, like it's, it's so important. You know, I, I'm never done learning and I want to read, I read two, three hours a day You know, I rarely watch TV and I just, it just, it starts your eyes open and. I think it starts with doing going. what you say you're going to do, and the second thing is never stop learning. Never, because it has to. It's 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 constantly changing around you, and yeah. you have to constantly get better and lift other and people up. Deal with insomnia and be all right with being up at four in the morning, and stay off the social media and just open a book. I wish that was an option. Yeah. Um, if you got the news, this is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your working in restaurants, would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind. For the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oof. That's a heavy to, one. I might have to refer to my notes. <laughs> yeah. People always break out the notes. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to really stay yeah. exactly to that. But the last three questions are pretty standard. Oh, God. So I, I did write some notes on, on a few of the questions, but this is <laughs> one. And a reminder to myself more than anything, um, I guess I'll, I'll, in order... Um, have fun. One. Keep a smile. Well, have fun. Keep a smile on your face. Laugh till it hurts. You know, like and 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 make those around you do the same thing. It's it's so important um, to me. What's just it all a, for in life? Fun. Um, it's it's not worth shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, money can't make you happy. It can help you, but um, but just have fun with it. Um, you matter. I matter. We all matter. Take care of ourselves, man. I spent a lot of years burning it at both ends. And not that I regret it, but, you know, we have a finite amount of time here. And so just making sure that that at the end of the day, there's no regret um, with, with the way we did it. Here's and number three. Number three is... You already drank it. Are you looking for, we're going to do a cheers? No, it's, uh, <laughs> two fingers of whiskey is only as big as you make it. Could be this big. Could be this big. <laughs> I just, just remembered sure. I had a beer below me, too, this entire time. Like, oh, yeah. Make sure you know which two fingers you're using. I'll cheers to that. Cheers. <laughs> uh, and this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. And I, I'm so just grateful and blessed to be able to do what I do to style with people like you, to share your story, to share yeah. your knowledge, to share your mentorship, to share your values. And I think really that's what I'm trying to get out of the show. That's different. This is not enough to like know what to do, but it's to know why to do it. Yeah. And then we got that from you and we got the, we got the what and we got the how too. this was a great chat. Um, you called out some people already. This is who I have written down. If I miss anybody, please c- correct me. Uh, I got all saints, Kim Tong. Yep. Uh, Stephen Brown. Yep. Brent Frederick, Tim Niver, who I already have plans to connect with on Thursday of this week. Um, but you give me reasons to come back, which I'm totally Absolutely. cool with. Ben I might Huang, wait until spring. Um, <laughs> and, and Charles Awad, they run a podcast here in town called Libations for Everyone. Ben and Charles uh, from Libations for Everyone? Yeah. And it's their premise is like six cocktails, six questions, and it's, it's a ton of fun. Get to drink six cocktails? Something like Or maybe that was just ours. I think oh. we said six cocktails. So I should be like seven cocktails? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, thank you for those referrals. And um, how can we connect with you? If uh, we were inspired by today's conversation, maybe we're coming out to Minneapolis. We want to come. Yeah, see ping me on, on on the socials. Obviously, uh, Chef Tommy Begno on Instagram. Uh, Tommy Begno on Facebook, but otherwise, pop in. Ask for me. I'm here. I'm coming back later this I'm week. I'm here all the time. And this place, look, I, I'm I'm interested. Yeah. In eating some. Oh, you're, you're coming in here. Yeah, I'm 100. I can't wait. Uh, this is when I say thank you so much. Thank Chef you. Tommy. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Appreciate you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Tommy Bigno, for coming on and just being a shining example of what it means to put on a show, a spectacle. And it's all backed by genuine, true hospitality. Everyone on your team knows that there's a performance going on. You you elevate the energy. You do little cool things like blow on your train conductor whistle whenever something interesting is, <clears throat> interesting is happening. And this is just... I mean, it's fun to be able to take this podcast to the next level and slow down and and get intimate with my guests uh, and experience the things we discuss during the podcast. This is something that was impossible when I was trying to jam 10 interviews into five days. I had to move on to the next experience, but now I get to really seep myself in these experiences and these relationships that I'm building. And then I'm super psyched for the direction we're taking this podcast. And it's 100% possible because of you. And I get to do other things too, like connect with my guests on a deeper level where I feel confident and comfortable asking them to come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network and answer your listener questions and connect my listeners with my guests on a whole new level. And this is what happens when you work on building relationships and really slowing down. Um, so I'm psyched. Couldn't be more psyched. So in January, we're going to have chef Tommy Pigno answering questions. I don't know if I'm going to group these guys together. Chef Peter Campbell, who was last week, chef Tommy Pigno. We also had um, Nick Kosovich, uh, who is a partner at Mr. Paul's Supper Club. So I might be grouping these these folks together because I know that these communities, that they know each other. And there was a lot of showmanship in the past episodes. So I feel like we could talk about that or whatever it is you want to talk about our listeners. Uh, so cool things happening at Restaurant Stoppable Network. We are relaunching the network. We're going to have three tiers. We're going to have a content library where we're going to organize all of our past content so you can listen 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 intentionally we're also going to have a, a community level where live events where we're connecting you with the the guests the tools the services being recommended on the show and then we're going to have a coaching level where if i'm opening a restaurant going from zero to five restaurants or five years or less this is how i'm doing it you're gonna have coaching from me and the people i'm going to if i'm opening that restaurant. So I'd love to have you be a part of that. Just head over to restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. Uh, if you get over there before the end of the year, we will honor our old rates. That's $29.99 a month or $300 for a year. It's going to go up to $47 a month. So get over there. If you, if you sign up for the year, I will send you a hat. I will send you a shirt. I will send you a mug. There is no reason not to get over there and get ahead of this uh, and be a part of what we're creating. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be great. We have Callan Miola, our community manager, doing an amazing job uh, building up these events. We also have Jared Parisi, who's doing the editing and the copywriting, but he's also going through the archive and organizing the past content to, for our content library. Like We're taking it to the next level, and it's only going to be possible because of you and your support. Thank you so much. And that's it for today. Until next time, peace out. Out.